Hello, all you sexy bodyguards and foxy firefighters, and welcome to episode 14 of A Bookish Affair, where we two Shannons will be your fellow travelers through the world of happily ever after. I'm Shannon, she's Shandy, and we love romance. We're the co-founders of the Lake Oswego Public Library's first genre book club, A Bookish Affair. We read and discuss diverse and inclusive love stories every second Sunday of the month at the library when it's open and on WebEx for the foreseeable future. If you are interested in joining a virtual discussion group on WebEx, if you have feedback or suggestions on the club or the podcast, or you just want to say hi, please email us at scdell at lakeoswego.city or sdickinson at lakeoswego.city. More information about the book club is also available on lopl.org. Just go to books and more from the main menu, then scroll down to discussion groups. You can find all of these links and our email addresses in the show notes as well. We'd like to begin by acknowledging the ancestral, traditional, and unceded territory of the Kalapuya, Cowlitz, and Clackamas peoples on which we live, work, and record this podcast. So, hey, Shani, uh, the world's on fire. How are you doing? The world is quite literally on fire. I mean, the world feel has felt like it's been metaphorically on fire for months now. And, and now, you know, the year 2020 has just decided to add actual wildfires to the mix. So we are, we are recording this podcast from our home state of Oregon and Oregon is experiencing sort of a perfect storm of like dry conditions, high temperatures, high winds, which has resulted in almost 50 different fires statewide, some of which are very large and threatening a lot of um, a lot of life and property. So we here in Portland proper are safe, uh, as is my mom over in Astoria, up in the very northwest corner of the state, and my grandma over in the Columbia River Gorge, which is great because the gorge had their own terrible fire a couple years ago and they really need the break. But it really feels like much of the rest of the state is just a flame. And in the few areas that aren't on fire, there's still the question of air quality. I am looking out the window right now and I have never seen the sky such a shade of putrid yellowish gray. Um, you know, you and I both have family members who live in areas that have either been evacuated already or on alert to be evacuated. So it's pretty wild times here in yeah. right now. It's it's a little it's it's madness. <laughs> That's all yeah. I can say. It kind of feels strange to be recording a podcast and you know dissecting the uh, the qualities of alphas and and betas, um, you know, making our lists of romance hero crushes when everything else going on in this world feels so out of our control. But it also feels good to do something normal and, uh, and, and to put out some good vibes. So to all of those hurting or displaced because of the events of 2020, we are thinking of you and hoping to cheer some of you with some of this talk about true love. I had to laugh while I was editing last week's podcast when I said something, you know, something along the lines of, okay, well, you know, we wanted to talk about betas, but this other thing came up. So I guess we'll just do that later. <laughs> I can, I just think any beta hero or heroine would just be like, you know, typical. I'll, I'll just mind my own business here in the background until you can get around to talking about me on your romance podcast. So betas. You deserve your own episode of A Bookish Affair. And here it is. This is our love letter to you, betas. And here we go. 
Um, it was really interesting after Joe listened to episodes 11 and 12, in which we spoke at length about alphas. Um, he wondered out loud to me if anybody really wants to think of themselves as a beta. And it threw me for a minute because I think of myself as a beta. Like, I'm a worker bee. I've never wanted to be the boss of anything because, you know, who wants to spend all day in meetings and balancing budgets when you could be like answering interesting reference questions and hosting book clubs, for example. <laughs> but, you know, I, I also can't think of too many people that I know who wouldn't feel mildly or maybe not so mildly insulted to be referred to as a beta. So, you know, and when your definition of beta is like not alpha, I guess I can sort of see what you mean there. So I don't know. Let's talk about what this type might actually mean and why people like me and you, I think, Shannon, find these heroes and heroines so appealing. I love betas. Um, they're kind of like the, uh, the neglected middle child, if you will. Um, <laughs> it, and, and it can be hard to talk about them without totally making a beta hero seem weak or like a wet noodle. But I don't think that's true. I've always felt that betas seem quite satisfied in their lives and super confident, just waiting for others to figure out their own who and, and to embrace greatness. Um, so, you know, as you said above, like, you know, let's let's turn this into a love letter to betas. Dear betas, you know, they're just like, they're just kind of chilling along, like being cool doing interesting, important stuff while they wait for true love to come along. I would say that betas are really consistent. None of this back and forth trying to muscle their emotions like alphas do. They they know themselves. They have a strong sense um, of, of identity, of awareness. They know what they want. They just do their thing. They're there for their person and they trust that their person will come around. Like who doesn't want that kind of consistency? And especially if you read a lot of alphas, that kind of, you know, sort of consistency, support, um, you know, easygoing nature is very, is very refreshing, refreshing in the manner of, you know, an ice cold peach pear liqueur after wearing a face mask for eight hours. Not that I experienced that recently. Or <laughs> but, you know, like you said, like you said a minute ago, I think one of the reasons it can be so hard to talk about betas is that they don't necessarily share a ton of obvious characteristics with each other. So, you know, you Google ro alpha romance hero and you get a million hits. And when you do the same, when you ask the same question of betas, it, you know, comparatively speaking, it's crickets out there. Um, you know, that said, there are a few articles and lists out there that we use to sort of do our research for this episode. And I will be adding links to any of the sources we consulted in the show notes. Um, if you remember back from episode 11, we talked about uh, the really great and fun site, romancemfa.com, which is written by Bonnie Loshbaugh, who also writes um, historical sports romance under the pseudonym Irene Davis. Uh, anyway, so she, uh, if we reach back to, uh, to that definition there, she defines a beta hero as, this is the quote, a love interest secure in their own personality without the need to dominate their partner. See also Cinnamon Roll. So that's kind of a starting point for us. Um, Amanda Deal um, in, a, uh, in a 2014 Book Riot article, um, she describes betas as confident but mild-mannered, um, 
lacking in the uh, often irrational jealousy that you see in certain alphas that really drives me, excuse me, that really drives me crazy. Um, Just having an over quality of overall quality of having their, their stuff together. Um, You know, betas don't exist in their own tropical storm of drama, angst and conflict the way alphas often do. Um, And Deal says in the article, you know, they're, this is a quote, they're sweet, considerate guys you want to bring home to mom and dad. Um, I think that was a nice way of putting it. Um, And then she goes on to highlight one of her, one of her favorite beta beta characteristics, which was not something that I had thought about necessarily, um, sort of respectfulness. And as she says, this is another quote, sometimes readers need a break from the slut shaming heroes who eventually see the error of their ways. And I thought that was really interesting. That's that's a really good point. I would say that betas are like the quiet heroes. We're also mesmerized by drama, but after too many alphas, like I just feel spent. Um, and and somehow we think of that drama as being, you know, that that's the embodiment of passion, and that's what we've kind of come to expect, you know. And a lot of like enemies to lovers, like somehow it's just like that tension sort of helps bring us in, but. Sometimes I don't need that kind of drama. Um, yeah, with, with that drama, there's so much back and forth, like too much denying and muscling the emotions of our alpha heroes. Like I just want someone to hold me and be patient and respectful, support, you know, support me, not fight me or try and fix it. You know, again, that quiet beta confidence and their consistency and patience even. It's, it's what keeps them very much in the game. And as these very much the heroes. They also possess an openness too that in our everyday lives, most people just want to be around. I, I do want to be around. I, I do want to be around that hero. You know, somebody who, like you say, supports you and trusts you, trusts you to know your own mind and to figure stuff out on your own and is going to be next to you while you do that. Um, and and to go back for a moment to, um, to Amanda Deal's point about shaming, that really struck me when I read that because I had just finished reading... Beverly Jenkins' next book in her Women Who Dare series, uh, Wild Rain. Um, And I believe that comes out in the spring. I was reading an arc. So um, quick setup, the heroine, uh, whose name is Spring Rain Lee, which is a great name, by the way, uh, especially for especially for a trousers wearing, horse breaking, steak cooking lady rancher who doesn't take any crap from anyone. Um, the, uh, the hero, uh, Garrett McRae is his name. He is a newspaper man who has come to Wyoming to interview Spring's brother, who's a doctor. Um, so Garrett is kind of, he's just sort of generally a quietish beta type. He's easygoing. He's self-aware. You know, he doesn't have a lot of annoying sort of quote-unquote masculine traits. Like his most, uh, he, he likes to open doors for Spring and she hates that. So he's got this like chivalrous streak that really gets on her nerves, but that's, you know, that's nowhere approaching anything toxic alpha masculinity so um so it's it's pretty just it's just pretty charming with him i mean like so the first time we meet him he has fallen off his horse in the snow because he like he's a city slicker he comes from washington dc like he doesn't really know what he's doing out on the plains of wyoming um so yeah he he falls off his horse in the snow spring rescues him and i think that really sets the stage for the characters and the relationships he's he's totally competent but in this situation, he's definitely out of his comfort zone. So, you know, he gets into this sticky situation. He's injured. It's a snowstorm. You know, there's never any question of like, I'm the man. I can't accept help from a woman. 
I should be taking care of her. This is all wrong. The shame, you know, he's like, dude, this lady knows what's up. I'm just going to hang out at her house while my injured knee recovers and ask her what I can do to help out, which turns out to be cooking in the dishes. So, you know, (laughs) (laughs) like right off the bat, you know, this hero is is really somebody to root for. But, you know, as they get to know each other better and feelings start to grow, Garrett is definitely interested in pursuing things this spring, but he really leaves the ball in her court. You know, she says, I don't want to get married. He knows that about her. And he says, I know, I just, I just want to hang out with you until you get so annoyed with me that you feed me to a bear. It's very, it's very adorable and charming. Anyway, so bit of a tangent there, but I wanted to set up the the characters. So there's a moment in the book where Garrett happens to be in the town saloon and uh, Spring is also there and a bad dude from Spring's past um, says something really horrible. And Spring, of course, you know, she puts the bad guy in his place immediately with both a devastating quip and a loaded colt. And Garrett admits later that his first impulse was, you know, to step in and help. But then he realized as soon as he thought of it that she could take care of of the situation herself and also that he wouldn't be winning himself any points with her if he went all night in shining armor. But, and here, here's the point of the Shanjin. I really liked how Garrett reflects on this incident later. Like he has learned something else about this woman that sets her apart from all the women he knows back East. You know, not only does she live alone, wear pants, break horses for a living, carry a pistol, not want marriage or children and hate to have doors open for her. But she also has a sexual history. And some of the things in that history happened by choice and others didn't. And instead of judging her for any of it, he attempts to imagine what her life might have been like and the circumstances she might have found herself in. And it's hard to imagine your typical historical alpha duke being that enlightened and that open-minded. Um, so that that moment was very refreshing for me. Yeah, one I can't wait to read to read Wild Rain, and 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 that is a really powerful moment I think for anyone to have that awareness to step back and be like what what was their life like and how did that inform who they who they've become like that takes a really yeah seriously enlightened person and I and I do think that beta heroes seem really quite well matched for alphas in that they're not trying to share the spotlight Again, it's that supportive, humble, respectful, and easygoing nature that I think do kind of define betas to an extent that helps give a certain emotional consistency to alphas who tend to struggle to maintain control, to maintain control at all times, especially with emotions. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, spring is 100% alpha heroine even down to the, uh, I'm not even sure if I know what love feels like, um, which is a thing you hear a lot from from, from alpha heroes. Um, and, you know, and she needs all of that support and consistency from Garrett while she's figuring things out, while she's figuring out if he has a place in her life. You know, she says several times in the book that she knows she doesn't need a man. She's lived on her own and done just fine for many, many years of her life. But when he shows up, she starts thinking about, what it might be like to walk through life next to someone and next to the right person. And I don't know. I thought, I thought that was a really 
I, I thought that was very poignant and very, and very real. And, and really liked, I really liked that conversation that she has with herself. Like, yes, I don't need a man, but would my life be better? And would this journey be easier or more interesting or more fun with this person next to me? So, yeah. <sighs> anyway, so yeah, you're going to love that book. You're really going to like it. <laughs> okay. <forward> it. <laughs> so, all right. So speaking of uh, some of our favorite romance authors, um, I went looking around the internet for this great Alyssa Cole quote um, about how she prefers her romance heroes, which is, this is so clever, beta in the streets, alpha in the sheets. <laughs> I love that so much. I love Alyssa Cole. Oh, it's so good. And I think she actually uses that line in a Duke by default, but I'm I'm sure that I read it in an interview or a blog post somewhere and I just can't find it. But while I was looking, well, on that fruitless, for, excuse me, on that fruitless search, um, I found another article, uh, a Shondaland article in which Cole was interviewed upon the release of A Hope Divided, which is the second in her Loyal League series. Um, and she was asked how she was asked how she navigates power dynamics in relationships when one or more of the protagonists is part of a marginalized community. And so then she said this really interesting thing about the first about the first Loyal League book, which is called An Extraordinary Union, and you should all read it. So this is a longish quote, but I think it's really interesting. So she says, when I was first shopping around an extraordinary union, I had a few agents who said they loved it but wanted me to make Malcolm the hero darker, grittier, and more alpha, which was just a huge no for me. The book is set in a world where white people could own black people. Having a white hero who was possessive or overbearing is the last thing this kind of story needs. I mean, that's the villain in this setting. I tried to thread that needle very carefully. In order for the romance to work, the hero had to be aware of his societal power advantage over the heroine or become aware of it and actively be working to mitigate that within their relationship and the world they're living in, end quote. So kind of cool, huh? That makes a non-alpha hero sound like a total BA, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and like, and I think the last line about actively working to mitigate the societal power advantage um, gets back to what we were talking about last week. Like you can write about a world in which people enslave other people or in which people invade and colonize others' homelands. But you also need to have your characters, the good ones anyway, know that it's wrong and attempt to do something about it. So that's what makes the kind of historical representation that people really want to read about. Oh, absolutely. It definitely fits what we talked about last week and how as the author, you you need to take that, take responsibility or that representation of your characters and what it means within that particular context. I mean, I loved it the first time I re heard it, but it's worth repeating the Rebecca Weatherspoon quote that you found and quote, all manner of things can happen in any kind of story. But if you do introduce bigotry, it is your job as a writer to say inside the narrative that it is wrong. And my main character knows this is wrong. And, you know, the above quote by Alyssa Cole, it's like her responsibility is to create a hero that fits within that time, place and story. And yeah, the decision to have a beta hero who 
is the, probably the most likely of the hero group, you know, between alpha and, and betas, they're the most likely to have that humility and the and the self-awareness to be that socially responsible and wise and, and uplifting and a supportive person. It was, I, I thought that was very striking and it, and it really hadn't occurred to me until now. Like she couldn't have an alpha hero in that role because of those, of those power dynamics, you know, right. I don't know. It kind of keeps bringing me back to this, you know, now that we've done a whole episode about betas and (laughs) several about alphas, but like, does, does the term beta even mean anything? Like, is it a useful designation? Like cinnamon roll hero? Yes. That feels extremely useful to me. And I think also extremely useful to you. Because you really want to know, um, you're going to be seeking out those heroes. But you know, is it is it possible that sort of, you know, not alpha, you know, rather than defining those heroes by the absence of alpha characteristics, is just one of the highest compliments you can pay a character, or is that just me reverting to my old alpha hating ways? Well, I sort of feel like this feeds into a social and cultural belief that one is better than the other. And in this case, you know, if we're saying it's alpha or not alpha, we're saying that alphas are better than betas, just as like beauty standards make a difference for a lot of people. But there's so many different ways to be beautiful. And there's so many ways to be strong, you know, and confident and sexy. And again, I mean, I feel like, you know, in the past, we've talked about how we're seeing more of our female heroes you know, coming in either plus size bodies or disabled bodies, and that's still beautiful and sexy and real. But we haven't shifted our standards for our male heroes, which, you know, we've talked about, like, their their body type remains this, like, chiseled, you know, muscular, you know, steel of a body. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I, I do think that's kind of ma- narrow-minded. And I think that we need to do the same for alphas and betas. Like, I Again, I think to say not alpha suggests that there's something wrong with that. I also want to go on the record and make it clear that when I use the term hero, I I use it inclusively to mean men, women, and non-binary individuals. Like heroin just doesn't do it for me. And so I say hero and I and I just mean like the love interest of the story, regardless of gender or identity. Anyway, that's a little side note. But um, I do think that we need to differentiate. I mean, I, I guess I, I understand the need to differentiate the heroes, you know, like alpha and beta. I think that there, some people do have a preference, but ultimately I wonder if it's just limiting and, and maybe a little misleading. And I wonder if it's a little superfluous. You know, there's also a less frequently less frequently used term, the gamma hero, which as far as I can tell is sort of the ideal combination of beta and alpha. And I say le- less frequently used because if somebody has talked about gammas on the internet since 2014, I haven't found it. <laughs> Dude, that one's all new to me. Like when we were researching for this episode, that's where I learned about the gamma hero. And I'm still trying to understand, you know, just the differences between betas and cinema roles. So I'm I'm not prepared to discuss gammas. I mean, a- any character worth its salt shouldn't exist on an alpha beta binary anyway. 
you know, a true, right. a truly rich character, the kind we really want to read about and root for, should contain multitudes. Hmm. So yeah. now that we've said that we want our characters to create to to contain multitudes, this is still our our love letter to betas. So, do you have any favorite beta heroes, or have you read any recently that you really liked? Um, hmm. you know, again, you know, beta cinema roles because I mean, if they're like very similar. Rafe is still a favorite. Um, I would put him in, in both kind of hero categories. Also Samson from The Right Swipe by Alicia Ray. He's a very delightful beta. I really, I really like him. Yeah. Samson is a wonderful beta. And I think Alicia Ray writes great beta heroes in general. Um, I love Jackson from Wrong to Need You. Um, Jazz from Girl Gone Viral. They're like, yeah. they're super competent professionally, but they're also incredibly respectful and supportive with their partners. And, and, you know, going back to cinnamon rolls for a moment, like, can you have an alpha cinnamon roll? Is that a thing? Like, you know, the most important, the most important aspect of the definition of a cinnamon roll hero is this quality of being too good to be true or too good for this world. So could that work with alpha or is that always a subset of beta? I I know. I have more research to do. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it's a good thing we're librarians, huh? I know. I'm excited by this. <laughs> you know, we've been meaning to talk about betas forever, but this episode came about when it did because, of course, the betas were always just going to be doing their own thing in the background waiting for us to talk about them. You know, it's not like betas were, uh, you know, we're, we're knocking down the door saying, when are you going to when are you going to talk about us on your podcast? Because that's not what betas do. That's what alphas do. <laughs> but this particular episode at this time, it all kind of came about because we were talking about your, shall we say, massive crush on a certain North Korean captain. <laughs> so let's talk for a moment about some of our favorite heroes of film and television. Um, leaving the world of books aside for a moment um, and, you know, where they might fall on the, on that spectrum. Yeah. Um, no, I, I would say it's a colossal crush. And, and I, and I do have to, I would, I would, I have to say it actually did surprise me that he was an alpha that, you know, so that would be, so of course we're talking about it, here I go trying to pronounce these things again. You got this. Um, uh, Chong Hoik, um, Hook, uh, and then uh, who's played by um, Hung Bin, uh, that song Crash Landing on You. Uh, he would be our alpha North Korean captain who I am definitely still crushing out on. Um, <laughs> other favorite heroes of film and television, I would say Diego Luna, particularly in the 2004, apparently I loved him in 2004. <laughs> so he started in two of my favorite movies. <laughs> the Steven Soderbergh uh, produced film Criminal, and I loved him in Dirty Dancing 2, Havana Nights. Um, I also tend to be the person to develop comedy crushes on particularly intelligent and awkward comedians uh, who have hearts and golds like Jenny Slate and Dimitri Martin. Um, I swear I'm trying to think of more. Like I loved, um, 
Oh, the, the show New Girl, Nick, and Coach. I guess the people who I could actually see myself wanting to spend time with in real life are the ones I typically develop crushes on. So there has to be some kind of relatability. Otherwise, I can't be bothered. And let's be honest, whether it's book, film, or TV show, you're spending time with these characters. There has to be an incentive. There has to be some kind of relatability and connection. Otherwise, like, count me out. Like, I have no desire to spend time with tiresome or loathsome people. But that's just me. I tend to be impatient. I'm, I'm definitely like you definitely going for the smart awkward types of never the smooth operator (laughs) (laughs) but it was interesting and perhaps this dovetails with my um you know with with my aforementioned weird aversion to uh to watching kissing on on film or on television which means essentially that I don't watch rom-coms or rom-droms um I'm looking. I'm looking at my list of dreamboats and realizing that very few of them are are sort of proper romantic heroes, as in you know one of the primary players in a love story. Um, so yeah, I've got that again. I've got that weird thing about about romantic plot lines. Not so much because I don't enjoy romantic plot lines, but again because I might have to watch people kissing, and I just know it's going to gross me out, <laughs> even if the people are very attractive. Oh, I don't know. And I totally like I crush on characters more than actors of course i'm plenty shallow and i will happily admire their pretty faces diego luna being an excellent example and apparently i should watch dirty dancing havana nights <laughs> i enjoyed it a little trip in time back to 2004 um so okay so all right so here's my list so I, I pretty much only watch star wars movies anymore so you know you cannot have a list of my crushes without a few heroes from a galaxy far, far away. But I have a controversial favorite. At least I think he's going to be controversial. Um, and that is the character, the side character, secondary character of Bodhi Rook from Rogue One. He's the cargo pilot who defects from the Empire. Um, you know, he's a great character. And yes, I did start paying attention because uh, Riz Ahmed, who plays him, is a darn good looking man. Lovely actor. So, you know, that, that made me sit up and take notice. But if you think more about the character, he's like, he's like an anxious guy who goes against every instinct of self-preservation to, to bring information to the rebels and sort of like set this thing in motion, um, you know, and you can see his courage growing throughout the film. He's never going to be that like blaster or lightsaber guy. He's never going to be the center of attention, but everyone has their part to play. And especially in a film like that, that has a really great ensemble cast. And I think I like this character because he shows that there's no one way to be a hero. He, he's a worker bee. No wonder I love him. Worker bees can be heroes too. Uh, you know, runners up, everyone else on the crew of Rogue One, and that includes the droid. But <laughs> um, I mean, and, and let's be real, while we're on the topic of Star Wars, I love me some Han Solo, Harrison Ford edition. Please don't talk to me about any other kind. But I think that character works best when he has someone to keep him in line. That moment in Return of the Jedi when Leia turns the I love you, I know line back on him, I feel like that says it all. Like, I love Han Solo, but you have to have somebody to put him in his place. <laughs> that's that's my feeling on that. Okay. All right, I've got a few other names if you're up for it. Um, Let's do it. <laughs> all right, here's one that Evie will tease me about forever because if you are a fan of the West Wing, 
as she and I both are. Um, and perhaps you are. I've never asked you. Oh, I'm embarrassed to say I've never watched it. So go on. Fair enough. You actually, I mean, you, this is something you could binge watch in pandemic times. Anyway, um, you know, your, your classic crush options on West Wing are supposed to be Josh Lyman or Sam Seaborn. Like those, those are your options. Maybe Will Bailey if you stretch it a little bit. No, my West Wing crush is Leo McGarry, chief of staff, grumpy old guy. I love him. Like the other ones are fine. I love everybody on the West Wing, but it has always been about Leo for me. And I don't really, well, I mean, I, I could expound at length, but um, you know, this podcast is only so long. So um, similar deal with, uh, with Paul Bettany's character in Master and Commander, The Far Side of the World, Stephen Maturin, the nerdy doctor. Um, and those, I, I totally crush on the character in the books too. Um, I, I'm pretty sure I'm supposed to be crushing on Jack Aubrey, the Russell Crowe character, but the good doctor had me at the first cello notes. Uh, just, you know, it's weird. <laughs> um, let's see. Okay, so Coach Eric Taylor of the the Dillon Panthers and later the East Dillon Lions on Friday Night Lights, played by Kyle Chandler, one of the best looking men on the planet, in my opinion. Like, he, that character is the ultimate leader and molder of men on the football field, but his marriage is one of the most admirable partnerships I've ever seen on screen. Like coach and Tammy are just this golden couple as lovely on the inside as they are on the outside. And that's really saying something because both Kyle Chandler and Connie Britton are beautiful people. And Evie and I will never stop wishing that we had Connie Britton's hair. Um, side note, my, my daughter is nicknamed coach because of this character. <laughs> I've been calling her that since she was in utero and it's all because of that character on that show. Um, okay, one more. I'm, I'm going to lay some sports night on you. I, and I really love all the men of sports night. Like it's one of those shows, you know, those kinds of shows and books where, where it, whichever character you're, you're with at the moment is your favorite character. Like they're just all so good. Like that's such a magical quality in a book or a show for me. Um, anyway, but I'm just going to pick one, which is Isaac Jaffe, Robert Guillaume's character. And I think he is in a class by himself as this sort of, I don't know, I'm calling him the gentleman alpha. Like interpersonally, he's this gruff cinnamon roll guy. He's a father figure to just about everybody who works on this on this show. The, the, the show is about a, um, like a half hour sports show and the people who produce it and, and run it and stuff. Um, and it's, it's wonderful. It's, it's what Aaron Sorkin did before, uh, before the West Wing. So anyway, sports night, watch it. But so he's got this, you know, he's got this gruff cinnamon roll thing, but he's also professionally speaking, like the ultimate. He like, he trusts people to do what they do, but he never hesitates to make the tough calls to step forward when leadership is required. Like I get heart eyes just thinking about the episode, the sixth Southern gentleman of Tennessee. Um, and it blows my mind how something written in 1999 can be so relevant today. Just do yourself a favor, Google Isaac Jaffe editorial, six Southern gentlemen of Tennessee. Uh, you know, I'll link to it from the show notes. That was, that was a long tangent, but okay. Here's something I think these characters all share, which is that each is terrifyingly competent in his professional life, but interpersonally, there's nothing controlling about them. They're kind, respectful, they inspire loyalty and you know and their relationships whether those are romantic or bromantic or or even just between colleagues they're they're true partnerships 
Um, so those those are the kinds of heroes that I want to watch and read about and that I crush on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I was I was confessing I was confessing the people on my list to Joe and we and we just really got into the weeds about alphas. We just started analyzing like anything that we could think of. Um, so it did not take us long to decide that none of the men, but possibly all of the women on Friends are alphas. So do you have any thoughts on that assessment? <laughs> I'm I'm like laughing out loud here, although it's laughing quietly. It's laughing quietly. You can't see. Uh, how did you get to friends? I mean, yeah, I, I think I agree with that assessment. Monica, definitely. Chandler is definitely a beta. Um, I also wonder if that reflects the time period, like the early knots. I don't know. That's an interesting way to close this conversation of betas. Listeners, what do you think? Yes. Please tell us if you agree with this analysis. I get the feeling Joe could have spent a lot more time um analyzing the characters and friends in particular so please find us now that we've talked a bit about betas and our favorites find us tell us your favorite alphas your favorite not alphas betas gammas cinnamon rolls whatever you want to call them we want to hear about your favorites too okay so you know how we're always talking about how the universe is like, hey, you should read about this thing. And before you know it, you've read 19 books about gentrification or colorism across multiple genres without even seeking them out. I think the universe listens to this podcast because I have not been trying to read romances with the sibling's best friend slash best friend sibling trope. But I'm like squeeing over here. Like, oh goodness, the universe is like doing my work for me. But on the one hand, I'm grateful. On the other hand, I'm reminded that I need to do my darn job and find you a a title. (laughs) It's funny. Like I keep getting several chapters into these books and suddenly realizing that's exactly what I'm reading. Like, okay, so I picked up the final book in Alicia Rye's Forbidden Heart series, Hurts to Love You. That's totally a, I have had a crush on my older brother's best friend for my entire life book. Uh, why didn't I think of that before? But, you know, as as leery as I am of that trope, I do know that I'm in good hands with Alicia Ryan. You know, it's funny because like when we were first talking about this trope, I thought of that book, but I figured she's one of your favorites. I figured you'd already read it. <laughs> well, that was very smart of you. I mean, what- and I think you should count that as your recommendation. And I hereby release you from the obligation. Though, of course, if you find something great or terrible and want to make me read it, I would not dream of stopping you. <laughs> but I've actually been holding Hurts to Love You in reserve for a while because I have this thing where I get nervous about running out of material from my favorite authors. So I just decided to go for it. And there are a few early Alicia Rise that I haven't I, I haven't read yet. So I, I won't be totally without material. Um, so this one's really interesting because in addition to that sibling friend dynamic, both the hero and the heroine have serious issues with their fathers. And it's really clear that they're going to be working through some difficult stuff. Um, Mm. Yeah. So I I think that's going to be a really interesting one. Um, Speaking, Uh, speaking of family issues, uh, I also read a book called forbidden promises by um, Sinithia Williams. And that is another, I've had a crush on my older brother's best friend for years book, but that part is actually the stumbling block for the heroine, whose name is India. 
Um, the real reason she can't get with Travis is that he also happens to be her older sister's ex-husband. Like, whoa. whoa. <laughs> like, it just, wow, it really dialed up the drama um, there. And I did really enjoy that book, but I am also learning that I have a limited appetite for books set in the world of politics. Like, I don't know that I need to read more than one or two a year that are sort of set in that world. However, definitely, uh, yeah, definitely accidentally accidentally found that book with that trope um i finished temporary wife temptation remembered that i have an arc uh i have an arc of the next book secret crush seduction and uh i mean you know who has adelaide song been crushing on for years and who's finally noticing that she's all grown up it's her brother brother's best friend michael of course <laughs> again yeah like when i after i read temporary wife temptation i saw that this the next book was adelaide's um story and i thought of that as well but so yeah i can't wait to hear your thoughts on adelaide's stories it's good so far but the heroine does seem really young to me and here's where i would normally make a crack about being among the aged because i recently turned 40 but i'm afraid claire would hear it um, and she doesn't think my age of jokes are funny. So, <laughs> you know, the whole thing where a 40 year old heroine counts as an older woman. Let's address that in another episode because my eyes are rolling really hard right now. But back to the sibling trope. I've got a couple more. Yeah. Um, I read Anyone But the Earl by Irene Davis, um, a.k.a. Bonnie Lashbaugh, a.k.a. RomanceMFA.com. Um, I think it sort of technically qualifies, although I would say the close friends, younger sister trope is not the primary issue keeping the characters apart. And in case you're wondering, the primary issue keeping the characters apart is that the heroine's mom is trying to marry her off to a shady Earl. Cool. <laughs> yeah. And then, like, this is kind of an obvious moment, but I'm, I'm wondering if The Worst Best Man, which is our September book club pick um, by Mia Sosa, I wonder if that also sort of qualifies. You know, woman falls for her ex-fiance's younger brother who happened to be the catalyst for her ex jilting her at the altar. I think that's also getting into sort of forbidden love territory since there's no previous mm -hmm. crush on either Lena or Max's part. There's obviously a big enemies to lovers thing going on here. Yeah. I mean, it does kind of cover the <clears throat> best, like, you know, not best friend. It, it does kind of cover the trope in some way, but yeah, I sort of feel like the forbidden love, the um, enemies to lover part actually take over. And I think that Mia Sosa does a good job of making it feel organic and not totally awkward. But maybe that was just me. I was fine with it. Are you okay with it? I am. And you know, at this point, I'm not really seeing a lot of weird sibling stuff because Lena is just so dang mad at Max and he's he just keeps being annoyingly attractive and charming when she just wants to keep hating him. You know, the reason that they're in each other's lives at all is, yes, that he is the brother of her ex-fiance, but the reasons for not wanting to get with him are more to do with the past actions um, than about the, you know, the weird sibling thing. But, you know, full disclosure, I am doing my usual read the last two thirds of the book on the book club, so perhaps more nuances will reveal themselves. I mean, again, Mia Sosa does a great job of reiterating, like, how different and actually how distant the brothers are so it's as if they're like not even related at all which maybe minimizes the awkwardness of brother swapping I don't, I don't know yeah I really noticed that I you know as I said I'm not very far in but 
I'm really wondering if the brother's relationship is going to <laughs> So, all right, enough about siblings and best friends and best friends, siblings and siblings, best friends. Shannon, what are you reading these days? Hmm. Um, I finally read Can't Escape Love by Alyssa Cole, which is a novella in the Reluctant Royal series. It follows Portia's twin sister uh, from a duke by default. It follows Reggie. While it wasn't my favorite in the series, I I really enjoyed it. And I love getting to know Reg, Reggie. Would, would Gus be a beta? Like, I really loved him. I, and I love Reggie too. Perfect nerd heroine. If I remember correctly, I would definitely say beta for Gus. He's just very solid, very easygoing, mild-mannered, you know, supportive, kind, all those all those wonderful beta buzzwords. Um, I hope you read that book while you were wearing your new Reluctant Royals Heroines t-shirt, which I also own thanks to you. I believe that we are both wearing them right now, actually. <laughs> We are. Yay! I love it. <laughs> New favorite piece of clothing. All right. Oh, so comfortable. I know. So comfortable. Really perfect for, for uh, a hot and smoky day. Um, you were saying, what else have you read recently? Oh, um, I listen, I've listened to The Party of Two, the latest by Jasmine uh, Gilroy, which is good. I feel like her books get better as the wedding date series continues. I especially like that Gilroy includes more discussions about race because um, those conversations just feel really organic and natural to her characters and what I imagine their daily experiences to be like. So I'm really happy to see that included. Um, and since I still can't get Chloe out of my head and apparently since I need suspense in my life as if you know we need more stress and tension, um, I have read uh, the, the Temporary Wife Temptation by J.C. Lee. Um, I recently finished Whiteout by um, Andrea Adriana Anders. And I just finished Sexy Davis by Beverly Jenkins last night. And that's a whole lot of alphas. Alphas for days. Um, you know, in the afterwards wild rain, I should have mentioned this earlier, but Beverly Jenkins asserts that Garrett is her first cinnamon roll hero. And she's so prolific. I thought that was really interesting. Like, how could she have not written a cinnamon roll hero already? So it kind of makes me want to go, uh, makes me want to go back and, and, uh, and analyze all of her heroes. Um, so that's quite a project. Maybe, maybe 2021 is the year of Beverly Jenkins. Um, anyway, side note. I am really impressed at your commitment to a romantic suspense. I just put a hold on Whiteout, um, which, uh, e you know, even though it's the first in a series and it apparently ends on a cliffhanger, you were very irate when you texted me about it. <laughs> uh, yeah, my big issue with Whiteout was the cliffhanger ending. Like, it just wasn't fair. Like, <laughs> WTF. I'm sure there are more pressing issues with it, you know, maybe about the science presented or conveniently finding a cabin in the middle of Antarctica, you know, but I, I can let those slide. Those are, you know, they help propel the movie, the the, the novel forward. Uh, it was that damn cliff, cliffhanger that just made me real. Like, I don't know if that's saying too much, but I just, man. And it's a like, God, it's a terrible cliffhanger. 
Well, now I, now I have to read it just, just, just so that I can be irate too. So what did you think of Sexy Dangerous? Wow. I really like that one. Um, Beverly Jenkins just creates the best female alpha heroes. I have to say, um, I guess, uh, Jenkins conceived of this story after a conversation with a friend why are, wondering why there were no like female assassins or bodyguards. So uh, Max Blake, uh, Max Blake is, is the beautiful and lethal bodyguard to Dr. Adam Gary, who's produced this prototype that could uh, reduce need for for electricity, for power, and if it gets into the wrong hands. I don't know. It is very fascinating because, like, this was written in 2006, and there are some really fascinating things that I felt seemed really contemporary today. Um, with You have this uh, South African Afrikaners man who is still pissed off that the apartheid ended mm -hmm. and he wants to create um, the perfect nation. And he wants Dr. Gary's prototype so that he can help create it. Um, so it's just, it's really, it's really interesting. I really enjoyed it. So suspenseful. I just kept like taking little breaks just so I could read one more chapter. <laughs> Wow, that it, it's difficult to imagine a more sinister hero than somebody who wants right. to bring a apartheid back. That's ooh, oh, all right, uh -huh. that's going on the list. That sounds terribly suspenseful. Um, if you like, if you like female assassins, uh, Katrina Jackson has a series about spies that's pretty good. Um, I I need to read her. You've talked mm -hmm. about her before, mm -hmm. and she is someone that I need to to read more of. Yeah, the first one, I haven't read the other spy ones because I kind of like got got diverted over to the small town ones and I'm not sad about that, but um but I read Pink Slip and the series is called The Spies Who Loved Her, which is is so great. Um but Pink Slip is the first one and that is about a woman who falls in love with a married couple, a man and a woman who are both who are both spies and assassins and they um, anyway, she gets caught up in all these adventures and then you know, hearts are uh, hearts are on the line and lives are on the line. It's all very, all very thrilling. And yeah, Katrina Jackson actually has several, um, several sort of set in that sort of suspenseful hitman, bodyguard, assassin, spy kind of um, mm -hmm. wheelhouse. So, uh, so yeah, there's, there's something else for your TBR. Just, you know, you're welcome. Uh <laughs> Thank you. All right. And one last thing before we go. I came across a romance title this week that was so epically punny that I immediately decided I texted you and Evie about this, like, because we have a shared text string now, even though you've never met Evie in real life. Um, sure. <laughs> I texted you both Hi, about how we have to build a new mini segment around the most grown worthy, puntastic romance titles we can find. So here's our inaugural offering, and I want you to get ready for this. It's called Visible Panther Line. 
It's from the Paranormal Dating Agency series by Tilly Maiden. So let's just pause a moment to give a truly great title the respect it deserves. Visible Pamper Line. (laughs) Am I going to read it? Heck no. It's about a panther shifter. Do I want one or more of you listeners or perhaps you, Shannon, to read it and tell me about it? Absolutely. (laughs) You know what? If we're going to mention it, even in like a punny romance title segment, I feel like I should read it. Like, I want to know if it's as punny as the title. So who's going to read it with me? (laughs) But on that note, maybe it's time for us to say goodbye. Because because I truly don't want to distract you from the glory of that title with any further shangents or shanecdotes. But hey, pretty much. (laughs) But hey, talk to us. Tell us about your favorite betas, gammas, cinnamon rolls, alphas. Who's your favorite movie hero or heroine? What are your favorite funny or clever or punny romance tiles? Like, find us on the old internet and let us know. <laughs> Email us, comment on a LLPL social media post, or find find our bookstagrams at the Knitterly Bookworm or and at Shandy B Reads. I really enjoyed how you just like channeled Darby and Gill for just a second. <laughs> that was excellent. <laughs> and as always, please note that the views expressed and espoused on our bookstagrams do not necessarily reflect those of the library or even of this podcast, even though we do share a brain in many ways. Until next time, friends, be cinnamon rolls to each other and make sure your panther lines aren't showing. In a pandemic, are panther lines still a thing? But maybe we should talk about this next time. Thank you, everyone, for listening. (laughs) In a world where pants are optional, do panther lines even exist? And on that note, we will leave you to the rest of your day. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye. Beverly Jenkins. A romantic suspense novel that Shannon enjoyed. Shandy accidentally said hero instead of villain when talking about the bad guy. Awkward. (laughs) We couldn't do this podcast without the help of a few awesome folks. Thank you to... Allison Arnold and Anya Woodhouse. For being our rocks and our champions. Rick Lyons. For giving us this crazy idea in the first place and making us believe we could do it. Carissa Barrett. For being a national treasure. Chris Myers. For good trouble. Noelle Elson, Amy Grimes, and Todd Mecklem. For answering all of our emails and making us look good on social media. Everyone at LPL has provided so much encouragement and support. Evie is our biggest cheerleader. We hope all, pa- all podcasters have a super fan like her. Claire D. Does our credits and corrections. Thanks to, thanks to... Justin and Joe. Our very own romance heroes. Thank you for always telling us when our panther lines are showing. <laughs> <laughs> 
thanks most of all to our book club members and podcast listeners who keep us inspired and always searching for the next happily ever after. See you next time. Have a good week. Stay safe. Thank you.